Today's podcast is brought to you by TeePublic. We're offering you a special discount on all of our t-shirts over at Black Girl Nerds. Go to blackgirlnerds.com forward slash t-shirts. Use the promo code BGNNerds30. That's B-G-N-E-R-D-S 30. When you use that at the checkout, you get your 30% discount. So take advantage of it. The sale ends soon, though. It ends at midnight on February the 24th. So go to blackgirlnerds.com forward slash t-shirts and use the BGN code BGNERDS. That's BGN Nerds 3030. This is Mildred Lewis creator of Agents of the Realm, and you are listening to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hi guys, this is Sierra Renee. I play Hawk Girl on DC's Legends of Tomorrow, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Megalyn E.K. I play Vixen on the CW Seed animated series, and you can also watch me on an upcoming episode of Arrow, February 24th. You are listening to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. episode 61 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie. I'm your host. This episode is titled Van Jones, Vixen, and Send Me. So in segment one, we interviewed Van Jones. You may have heard of him. He's all over CNN. He's also a entrepreneur. He's created organizations that are on the nonprofit side, such as Dream Corps, Yes We Code, Green for All, and he's also been featured in Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World. In segment two, we invited Megalyn Echikawoke. Megalyn is Vixen, also known as Mari McCabe, on the CW Seed, which is an animated web series that you can currently catch on the website. However, now, this week, coming up on Wednesday, she's appearing in live action form on Arrow. So she talks to us about her new role as Vixen, also how exciting it is for her to play a role of a woman who is really one of the most prominent and well-known black female characters in the DC universe, and how much of an impact that's having for so many black women and women of color who are fans and readers of DC Comics. So I was very excited to talk to her. She was so much fun and just very laid back and honored, so honored by the fans and the support that Vixen has gotten since the launch of the animated series that happened on the CW Seed earlier last year. 
And then finally in segment three, we have Steve Harper and Liz Femi of Send Me. Send Me is a new web series that is about time travel back into slavery. So pretty controversial topic, but Steve Harper tells us a little bit about why he created the show and what the topic really, the message is supposed to be about. And Liz Femi is an actor that appears in the web series that Steve Harper created. And we had a really great time just sitting back and talking about this great web series that is now on BET. It's on there for a limited run for the month of February, obviously for Black History Month. So We really want all of you guys that are listening in to check it out, support it, talk about it on Twitter, spread it all over social media, get folks into it. Because once it's off of BET, then it's back on YouTube, and it may be off a lot of people's radar, so this is the one opportunity for them to get the message out there about Send Me. So I really appreciate you listening in to this episode. Thank you guys for all of your support. Thanks for always tweeting about what you think of the episodes. I I really appreciate that. I think that it's important that you give feedback and let us know your thoughts about these podcast episodes. However, most importantly, let us know your feedback via iTunes through comments. Also, leave us a rating. If we're really good and you're really happy about what we're doing with the shows, give us a rating on iTunes. Give us a heart and a follow on SoundCloud. Subscribe to our podcast. Spread the message. Use the support Black Podcast hashtag on Twitter and include our Twitter handle and the link to our show so more people can find out about us. And again, thank you to everybody that continues to listen in and support and download. And even if you're not on social media and you're still listening in on our podcasts and doing it on a regular Thank you guys, because again, this is what this is all about. This is for you. That's why these shows are created. And because of your support, because you guys are so vocal about listening in, is why we're able to get really great guests to come on the show, because they're like, oh, well, people actually listen to this podcast, so maybe it's worth taking a moment and appearing as a guest. So that actually is a good thing. So thank you. And I hope you guys enjoy this segment. I think it's going to be something that you'll definitely be into and enjoy the show. Episode 61, coming at you. Segment one is co-hosted by Joelle Monique. Segment two is co-hosted by Joelle Monique and Grace Gibson. And segment three is co-hosted by Joelle Monique and Kayla Sutton. Van Jones is an American political activist, commentator, author, and attorney. He is a co-founder of several nonprofit organizations, including the Dream Corps, Yes We Code, and Green for All. He served as President Obama's Special Advisor on Green Jobs and Associate Professor at Princeton University. He's currently the president of the Dream Corps and a regular CNN contributor. In 2009 in Time Magazine, he was named one of the 100 most influential people in the world. Welcome to this segment of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. I'm very excited. We have a great guest. You may have seen him all over the news, especially in the world of politics. I have Van Jones here to talk to us about all things related to politics, related to tech, related to blurred culture. Thank you, Van Jones, for for coming on to the Black Girl Nerds podcast. 
Oh, I'm excited about it. I've been waiting for a long time to do this. Awesome. Well, I, I want to start off by assuming that there are some listeners who may not know who you are. Can you sure. briefly tell us who you are and what you do? Uh, sure. I am a civil rights activist. I used to work for President Obama. I'm now on CNN, but I, I run something called the Dream Corps, and uh, we are a social justice accelerator. Uh, we are uh, working to get as many of our good causes as big and impactful as possible. One of our initiatives is uh, called Yes, We Code. And Yes, We Code has been uh, working with about 13 major tech companies, including uh, Pinterest and Twitter, to get a number of young adults of color from Oakland uh, trained as apprentices and ultimately as, uh, as full-fledged tech workers in Silicon Valley. And, and I want to talk politics with you, which is your wheelhouse, of course. In a recent CNN clip, you had stated the following about Bernie Sanders' appeal to young voters. You said Mrs. Clinton must have real heartbreak at the fact that young women are breaking against Hillary in her own party. Why do you feel that younger millennial women are in favor of Sanders over Hillary? Well, because I think that young people in general are less interested in, say, a female symbol than in financial solutions for their actual problems. I think, you know, I'm in my 40s. I think a lot of people my age just don't understand how dire the situation is for young folk who are just being crushed by student debt, education so expensive, the job market so scarce. The idea that, hey, maybe I should be able to get a college degree without having to pay so much money, and I should be able to see a doctor without having to pay so much money, and that uh, we should just have a different approach to all these problems, a bolder approach, I think really appeals to folks. And I think also, you know, yeah, a lot of young women, their entire lives, you know, majority of college students have been women, probably the majority of their professors have been women. And so the idea that just because you're a woman, that's the reason I should vote for you, even if you're not inspiring me, even if your your ideas seem too tepid to make a difference, it doesn't make sense. Also, I think young people know you may not get everything you want, but if you aim low, you're going to get even lower. And if you aim high, you'll, you'll get higher. And I think that sometimes Secretary Clinton falls into the camp of almost telling young people, lower your aims. You're not being realistic. And nobody wants to hear that. You recently wrote an op-ed for CNN, Congress says okay to racist auto lenders. Can mm -hmm. you explain to our audience why failing to pass this law was detrimental? Well, I mean, it was one of those situations where, you know, a, a big industry trying to get away with screwing over basically poor and black folk just to keep it, it real simple and real direct. And Congress went along with the auto industry. And, you know, that particular thing may not be square in the middle of where all your, your viewers are. But what I will say is this, you know, my time in politics and what I've been able to observe firsthand, you know, it really is as bad as people fear when they think about how much big money controls the process. And, we really do need young folks to get involved both in technology but also in politics. The only thing that can offset the power of big money are big movements. Look at what Black Lives Matter has been able to do with nothing but a hashtag and some, you know, protests and people, you know, dying in, but really using social media. The Democratic Party and the Clintons in particular used to run away from black issues. Even when uh, President Obama ran in 2008, he had to really downplay black issues in order to be elected. That was just eight years ago. Now, both Bernie and Secretary Clinton are running toward black issues. They're, they're trying to almost outdo each other 
on who cares the most about African Americans. Now, that's intelligent because it takes about 90% of the black vote in a national election for Democrats to win the presidency. So you would think that all along they would have been courting our vote in this way. But what happened is the Black Lives Matter came on the scene and they changed the conversation. They said, you have to deal with this. And even you have Republicans now, uh, from Newt Gingrich to Rick Perry, who have also spoken out about mass incarceration and, and some policing issues. So it's really, really important whether you're talking about the big banks or you know, these auto lenders that are preying on our community, or whether you're talking about polluters, or whether you're talking about some aspects of law enforcement that have gone too far. For, for people to get involved and speak out, it does make a difference. Thank you. That's an amazing answer. Um, I have noticed that you refer to yourself as a social entrepreneur. Can you explain to us exactly what that means and how it's evolving? Well, you know, a normal entrepreneur is someone who is trying to use their talent, their skill, their hustle to make as much money as they can for themselves. A social entrepreneur is using the same amount of hustle to make as big a, an impact on an issue or a cause for our community. And so I have spent the past 20 plus years building organizations not to make money, but to make change, uh, not to make dollars, but to make change. And so uh, the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights, the first organization I started um, almost 20 years ago this year, that organization has been battling what we used to call the prison industrial complex. Now we call it mass incarceration for two decades. We have closed five youth prisons in California working with our allies. We stopped them from building a super jail for youth in Oakland about 10 years ago working with our allies. And we also have overall helped to bring the California youth prison population down by about 80%. So that's one organization I, I was blessed to help start. Also, colorofchange.org, which is now the biggest online civil rights organization for black people in the world, uh, 1.4 million members. James Rucker and I started that right after Katrina with just our own emails of a couple hundred friends. We've grown that to 1.4 million. Also, Green for All working to get solar panels and solar jobs into the hood. have created about 10,000 uh, solar jobs and other green jobs in our communities over the past uh, eight years. And then most recently with the Dream Corps, it's a, it's a platform. We have numerous campaigns there. Yes, We Code, which I already talked about. Uh, green for All is now housed also with, with Dream Corps. And now we have Cut 50, hashtag Cut 50, a campaign to cut the prison population in half over 10 years working with Republicans and Democrats. So, you know, I just feel everybody has to make their own choice and, and their own decision. But, you know, I was very blessed as a child to be in a home where education was valued, where my parents were both school teachers and they pushed me very hard to do well. And I just wanted to be able to use my gifts and my blessings to try to uplift our community. That is so profound and so amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm just just blown away by the work that you've done. And we had the chance to meet briefly at San Diego Comic Con last year. And it was yeah. great, great to meet you. And we talked briefly about Yes We Code. Can you tell us a little bit more about the organization? Because I, I really love to hear about organizations that reach out to young kids in the community and especially in the inner cities and teaching them how to build programs and learning how to do programming and coding. So tell us more about that particular sure organization that you that you're part of well you know i've been very blessed to have the rock star prince as a as a as a friend and as a, a mentor and as a supporter of my work for quite some time 
Uh, he actually put about a quarter million dollars into helping solar panels get put up in Oakland. And we've been working together ever since. After the Trayvon Martin catastrophe and the horrible outcome of letting the murderer go free, mm-hmm. Prince said something very, very shocking to me. He said, uh, he said, why is it that when you see a black kid wearing a hoodie, you think it's a thug? But then when you see a, a white kid wearing that same hoodie, you think, oh, well, there goes Mark Zuckerberg. Mm-hmm. I said, well, that's because of racism. He said, well, it might be because of racism or it might be that we have not created enough black Mark Zuckerbergs. Why aren't you civil rights people focusing in on that? And it just blew my mind. It was just such a, a, a punch to, to the gut. And so we, we looked into it and we figured out that we were falling short and that there were going to be a million, one million jobs in the technology sector more than they were going to be able to fill over the next eight years. In other words, a million jobs over the next eight years standing empty, and yet African-American unemployment off the charts. So we said, what if we created Yes, We Code and tried to fix it? And so what we've done, very simply, we realized that you don't have to go to MIT or Stanford or Harvard or any of these fancy schools to get a job as an entry-level computer coder. If you have just basic mathematical literacy and you're willing to, to work hard, you can be trained for those jobs, even without a college degree, in only three to six months. Nobody knows that in our community. And so we said, well, hold on a second. Uh, you mean to tell me that somebody who can basically do a little bit of algebra, even if they don't have a college degree, could get one of these jobs making $80,000 a year starting out? And I said, that's amazing. So then it turned out that there were these boot camps that – were teaching this stuff at such a fast rate, and yet it was almost all white, and it was priced out of range, fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars for three months. That's a lot of money for a lot of African Americans. So we said, well, hold on. The boot camps are teaching the right stuff, but they're not reaching the right young people. Then we said, but the community colleges—they're reaching the right young people, very diverse community colleges—but they're not teaching the right stuff. So yes, we code's great innovation was we brought the top four boot camps together with us and the California Community College System to create a special track that can reach into our communities but then teach the right stuff. And then we cut a deal with 13 technology companies to place our graduates this summer into highly accelerated apprenticeship tracks so they can start having jobs in places like Twitter, Pinterest, et cetera. This is the kind of stuff that a social entrepreneur does. You look at a problem and you figure out where is the solution. If the community colleges have half the solution, the boot camps have half the solution, and you can get these companies to help you, you can very quickly solve something. Now, can you imagine when you start seeing African-American, Latino, young women and young men walking around in the neighborhood with $80,000 in their pocket that they got, that the cops can't take, that they can't get in trouble for, but they earned it by a three to six months program? We think that could begin to change everything. So that's Yes, We Code. And also with respect to social entrepreneurship, social media has changed the way relationships have been fostered. What what are your thoughts about how social media has changed the way we're seeing and hearing marginalized stories that rarely get picked up by CNN and other major news outlets, such as the Sandra Bland case and even Freddie Gray and Mike Brown, which only gained momentum because of black Twitter? Yeah, well, look, I mean... Half the time at CNN now, we just cover Twitter. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's it's completely flipped. Yeah. Uh, uh, it used to be, 
you know, I'm old enough to remember when if a politician wanted to reach the masses, that politician would have to call a press conference, hope that the media came, give her or his statement, hope that they printed it the right way, hope that they saw fit to even include it in the news that night. Well, now a Donald Trump can just tweet and every news outlet in the world will respond to it. And if they don't respond to it, his followers will retweet it and they'll get it out anyway. And the same thing with our causes in our community. Social media now, everybody is their own media outlet and everybody by posting, sharing and retweeting can really help to influence the conversation. That said, my frustration is that we make black Twitter work. But you can't invest in black Twitter. You can't buy stock in black Twitter. Mm. Black Twitter is just sitting on top of Twitter. And Twitter is a, a multi-billion dollar enterprise right. that we get not one penny back out of. Mm -hmm. And so I'm tired of African-Americans being the pixels on somebody else's platform. I'm tired of us being the stars for somebody else's studio. At some point, we have to stop downloading apps that other people make and start uploading our own apps. And that's really what Yes We Code is all about. I want us to realize every time we move our thumbs around on our smartphones, we're making money for somebody else. Every time you click, that's cash for somebody else. That's a market capitalization for somebody else. And at some point, we have to realize we are the profit center for Twitter. We are the profit center for YouTube. We are the profit center for most of Hollywood. People now especially... When you're talking about a normal TV, when you're talking about the movies, the reason you see so much more content, Empire, et cetera, is because we're the only folks still going to movies. We're the only people still watching normal TV. Other people have, have cut the cord. They're off streaming what they want to do or they're doing some virtual reality stuff. And so we need to, at some point, become the people who own and control our own, which is why Jay-Z going off to build title. Mm. was so important. Let's not forget, Dr. Dre has made more money as a technologist through Beats by Dre than he ever made as a rapper, um, or he ever made as a producer. So don't don't just show me your rap, show me your app. Ooh, I love that. Van Jones, can you just let our listeners know where we can find you on the interwebs, your social media shout outs, and any current projects that you're working on? Well, look, you, you can go to the Dream Core. Dot org And by core, I mean like C-O-R-P-S, like the Marine Corps, Peace Corps. You might spell it corpse, but it ain't corpse. <laughs> TheDreamCorps.org. And you can see everything that I'm working on, Beyond Prisons, Cut 50, Green for All, Yes We Code is all on one website. I am VanJones68 on Twitter. You know, and you could, if you're really bored, you can go to VanJones.net and, and see some of my personal stuff. But look, I just believe that we are at a point in time where we have multiple scientific and technological revolutions that are all happening at the same time. Genetics, a revolution in genetics, a revolution in drones, a revolution in 3D printing, a revolution in virtual reality, augmented reality, all these different things happening at the same time. And what it means is a lot of the companies that exist right now will be wiped out. You know, you're talking about Uber wiping out the taxi industry. You're talking about Airbnb challenging the hotel industry worldwide. So we should be very happy because most of these existing industries never served us. Most of these existing companies never included us. And so empires are going to rise and fall. 
and people sitting next to you on the bus right now broke are going to be billionaires in three or four years if they make the right moves and decide they're not just going to download other people's stuff. They're going to upload their own. And there's no reason in the world the creativity that we have in our community is unreal. This whole new digital economy is just five C's. It's creativity, which we already have. It's communications, which we already do. It's connectivity, which we already have. I mean, black Twitter is the biggest thing in the world. So when it comes to creativity, connectivity, and communications, we already dominate. What we don't do is the coding and the cash. We don't do the technology and the finance. And because we are not focused on the technology and the finance, through our communication, our creativity, and our connectivity, we create value. And then the technologists steal it, streaming, all this sort of stuff, or the, fi the financial guys take our money. This next generation, you know, I love Black Lives Matter, but damn it, black jobs matter and black businesses matter and black wealth matters too. And we need to realize that uh, in the middle of a technology revolution, that's when you can have your social revolution. And, and I hope that everybody who, who is a part of this you know, growing consciousness of social media will, will listen to some of what I'm saying and, and, and become owners and builders like we were back home before they took us over here. Some wealthy information. I can't believe this information is being given out for free. This is amazing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thank no, you. Now, listen, I, I hope you'll have me back at some point. I, got, I only said about 2% of what I got to say. So I hope we can keep talking. Absolutely. Thank you very much, sir. And I right. look forward to talking to you again. Okay. Thank you now. Megalyn Achikawoke is an actress who's appeared on such shows as Supernatural, House of Lies, and CSI Miami. Currently, she's playing the role of Mari McCabe, also known as Vixen, from DC Comics. Vixen premiered last year on the CWC, which is a website that premieres webisode series of various shows. Her show did so well that it's now renewed for a second season. And this Wednesday, February 24th, Megalyn is scheduled to appear in live-action format on the CW series Arrow. of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. If you are a fan of DC Comics' Vixen, if you're a fan of Arrow, then this is the segment for you. I am very proud and very honored to have our guest, Megalyn Achikawoke, here to talk to us about all things Vixen, all things related to her new stint on Arrow in live action form. And I also have here co-hosts Joelle and Grace on the podcast Thank you, Megalyn, so much for coming on the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Of course. Thank you for having me. So we are so excited to finally, finally see a live action Vixen, which we've all been waiting for. And this is a big deal because Vixen is a very prominent figure in the DC universe. How has the transition been like for you, transcending Vixen from animation form to live action? Um... 
Well, it's been kind of scary, actually. I've been pretty nervous about it just because I realize how much this character means to a lot of people after doing her voice. And I'm just, I don't want to let anybody down. And, you know, when you're going on to guests on a show like Arrow, a show that's been established, it's, you know, in its fourth year, it's kind of like they, they have a thing, they have their thing that they do. So it can be kind of intimidating to go on to a show as a guest like that. And then also playing this character that hasn't been seen before was also equally intimidating. So I had two of the, those two things going on. So hopefully it turned out okay. But um, yes, it was very scary because I want to make everyone proud. <laughs> <laughs> I think you did more than okay. Uh, it was very well received among fans. And um, that totem was something that trended on Twitter. And, and I was so glad to be a part of that when we were live tweeting the CW series, um, which I'm glad that it's now going into a second season. Yeah. Tell, yes, hooray for that. Tell me, prior to taking on the role of Mari McCabe, had you read any of the, the comics? Uh, I hadn't before I did the voice. Um, I had not. Um, I knew of her existence and I thought she was a really cool character, but I didn't realize she had her own miniseries um, until after I became a part of the, the animated series. And then I was like, wow, this, then I was even more impressed with her because I started to learn really all about her and her past. And, and so then I realized like, wow, this is a fucking, sorry, excuse me. <laughs> um, so sorry, you're going to edit this, right? <laughs> that, no, you can curse that that's fine be okay. yourself <laughs> okay um this was a fucking badass character that's what i was <laughs> i no lies detected there no lies detected um and now that i'm you know in knee deep in this kind of world i i don't want to stop like all the people all the fans are fucking Sorry. Sorry. The fans are really cool. The fans are so engaged. And as an actor, or any kind of entertainer, what you want, what you what you thrive on is feedback, you know, the engagement. So I'm I'm really excited. I, I feel really lucky that I get to, to be a part of it. Well, I, I thank you for just, you know, bringing her to the live action. Uh, you have quenched the thirst for being able to see. Um, you know, a black female character come to the screen. So uh, I, I just thank you for that. I'm just like overwhelmed over here. So, yay! <laughs> I also wanted to ask, so Vixen is a unique character with many layers and complexities. So how much of her story and the complexities attached will we get to see in the television series? In Arrow? Yes. Um, you know, in Arrow, it's about, it's about Stephen... Um, it's about Oliver Queen, right? You know, that show is about Oliver Queen and it's cool because it's like Vixen's just coming in to kind of help, help him get done what he needs to do in this particular episode. So you don't get a ton of backstory on her, but you, you do in that her and Oliver Queen, you know, they find a kind of common ground. And it has to do with, you know, her, her experience 
you know, her, her life experience helps him, you know, make some tough decisions that he needs to make in the, in the episode. And so, um, so in that way you kind of learn, but no, there's definitely, there's definitely so much further and deeper we can go into Vixen's world, into her, you know, her capabilities, her past, her future. Yeah. Cause yeah, the show is about Arrow. So true indeed. Yeah. Nevertheless, it is still a huge role, and I believe yeah. like the first of its kind having um, a black female superhero to be a part of a live television series um, outside of the uh, the web series version, of course. And so um, it's definitely a huge boost and representation and gives women and girls some hope in the superhero mm. genre, like particularly me. <laughs> so uh, how much of an impact do you think this will have on just viewers as a whole? Um, I hope I hope a big one. It's interesting because. Um, some people have sent me just things. I read this really beautiful blog post, this young woman just talking about her experience over the years, what Vixen has meant to her as she's, you know, kind of coming of age and dealing with her own personal issues and how Vixen was kind of this inspiring, guiding light for her because she's, you know, always loved the character, always loved the comic and, and I just felt like, wow, that is so like, I could, I can't ask to have, you know, I can't ask for anything more as a, as a person who's, who's portraying this character, you know, what you want is to hear that something that you're doing or that you're a part of is helping improve someone's life um, and giving them hope inspiring them. So I hope that, you know, all the, all the little girls of color out there are super inspired and, you know, see themselves in Vixen uh, because Vixen's cool because she's, she's comes from adversity. You know, she's not some rich girl who just woke up with powers one day Right. Or something like that. She didn't have an accident. She wasn't living this great life and she had some sort of accident. She, you know, she's, she comes from a school of hard knocks. You know, she's, <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. She has, she has suffered and she has seen adversity and she has had to power through it. And she's had a lot of identity issues. You know, she's struggled with her identity and she's, you know, not a teenager. She's a woman and she still has this, you know, and she probably always will because that's kind of just how it goes sometimes when you come from a background like hers. She's, she's African, but she grew up in the United States. She's adopted. She doesn't know her family. Um, she doesn't really know where she comes from. And in a lot of ways, I think a lot of black Americans kind of have like this, there's uh, a sense of there's a space there where there's room for a fully fleshed out identity, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. a lot of, I mean, I personally struggle with that, you know, just, you know, my dad is African and um, I lost him at a, at a young age and, you know, I'm, uh, a mixed girl and I kind of grew up, I grew up on the Navajo reservation in Northeastern Arizona. So I, 
my whole life was kind of like, okay, always, always really affected by how I affected people. And people were always kind of like thrown off. Like who, like, who are you? Like, are you, are you black? Are you white? Like, are you native American? Like what well, your name is weird. Who are you? Are you going to hang at the black girl's table? Are you going to sit at the white girl's table? <laughs> and that always, you know, perplexed me. And, and I think that a vixen probably has a lot of that. Mari McCabe has a lot of that, mm-hmm. you know, in her yeah, life. Kind of, like, kind of like a sense of belonging or seeking that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of people of color just do also, maybe more so in a way. I don't know if that's too too sweeping a generalization, but no, no, that's yeah, no, absolutely. We're very yes. familiar with otherness and and <laughs> yes. being outside. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's why, and that that's why I think Vixen is kind of, you know, super important because um, she's she does have that within her that struggle, that constant searching, but she also has persevered and she has found, and she has purpose and all of that means something now, you know, she's, she's able to funnel all of that into this purpose that she now has. And, and so she, in a lot of ways, she understands compassion and she understands, you know, being the, the underdog. As a fan of Vixen, it's so amazing to hear you say all these things because it's clear how much you care and how much you want to, you know, get the character right. And it's really exciting. I'm wondering how much, like, do you have to prepare physically at all for the role? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and hopefully, um, you know, if Vixen does any more live action, I would like... I mean, I have, I have ideas about, about everything, about her physicality, about her costume, about, um, about everything. And yes, I, I did have to prepare physically. I actually, um, had like a little injury before we shot that. So yeah. So my stunt woman was very cool and she's also Nigerian. She's very cool. Ex pro fighter. And, um, so she kind of helped me, you know, get where I needed to be on camera, just physically, you know, showing me stuff. But ideally, you know, I'm doing all kinds of fight training and, you know, I'm in, I'm in fighting shape. Awesome. in fighting awesome. shape all the time. <laughs> she is. We're ready for a full-time show, so, you know, whenever... CW or you know they want to put you over there on CBS with Supergirl. I'm I'm about it wherever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> Vixen is ready, ready for action, fighting shape. Let's do this. You said you had some ideas about the costume. I'm curious because she's you know um, a fashion designer and in some incarnations of the character a model. Does that fashion sense carry over? And what what are your ideas on the costume? What would you like to see? Well, I think that the costume. You know, Vixen is, is, has her own series. I think the costume should actually, t- to be honest, my favorite costume is the first incarnation of her costume in, um, the very first comic book that she appears. It's kind of like this, it's very sexy. It's <laughs> very sexy. It's very <laughs> low cut. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Low cut. Sometimes it's, you know, strapless. 
she's got like this little like leotard thing on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's very like almost like a dancer wear, <laughs> which mm-hmm. I yeah. like. Um, and I think in the first incarnation of her, she's got like she has like these cool gloves on. They're like evening gown gloves. Mm-hmm. This this head thing. And this cool leotard, this strapless leotard, and like knee high boots. I'm about that, but <laughs> you know, I, who knows? She's had a lot of sexy incarnations, and then, my, but my costume on Arrow is, is very cool, um, and it's very much in keeping with the Arrow, the look of that show. And I mean, that's a whole other way to go, but I love that costume also because it's, it's, it's very like edgy and dark and kind of like it's leather and, um, yeah. So that's, that's the other thing about Vixen. She's very versatile, I think. And I think since she's a fashion designer, she should have a lot of looks. I mean, come on. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're seeing Vixen on Arrow. We'd hope to see her on Supergirl and The Flash and all of these other TV shows. But really, what the fans want is for Vixen to have her own series. What what can we as fans do to rally to get Vixen to have her own show? Mm. <laughs> we're ready and prepared. Yeah, we're, we're oh. ready. What can we do? Step one. So <laughs> Exciting to hear that, first of all, but um, I wish I knew because then I'd be doing it on my own. Um, you know, I think I think just what you've been doing, what the fans have been doing is great. It's just being very vocal um, and letting letting. I think mainly DC Comics because they own this property. They this is their character, so letting the creators of Arrow and the people who created the animated series, the CW and the people who are really giving Arrow a chance, I mean, Vixen a chance, letting them know how much you appreciate that and that the audience is there for her. And then also I think, um, letting DC comics know that the audience is there for her and that you, you know, want to see this character really take center stage. Um, Cause I think at the end of the day, they want to do what the fans want. Right. I figured that's the whole point of creating these kinds of shows and delivering this kind of content is for fan consumption. Right. It's very, I think it's very fan driven. So um, obviously these, the networks do, they have their way of doing things and they, they will do, they do what they think is right. But I think at the end of the day, they really want to know that the audience is there. The viewership is there. Right. People are going to tune in, you know, because these are huge, you know, it's a huge investment to, to bring a character, bring these characters to life. And we really need to have the animated series be more than four to five minutes long. On the yes. I will let them know. I will, I will pass that message on for sure. I agree. I agree. And so does my mom. <laughs> my mom is not having these And that's minutes, the most so. important opinion of all. <laughs> I'm like, listen, who do I need to talk to? Because this five minute thing isn't cutting it. Okay, <laughs> um, I will let, I will let uh, Mark Guggenheim know. 
<laughs> Let the head of the CW know your thoughts. Well, Megalyn, thank you so, so much for, for coming on the show. Before you go, can you just let us know where we can find you on the interwebs? Give us your social media shout outs and any other projects that you're working on. Yeah, um, I am on Twitter and Instagram and I'm at Megalyn, at M-E-G-A-L-Y-N. Pretty easy. Um, that's kind of all I'm doing. I'm thinking about getting into Snapchat. Should I be doing that? Yes, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I still haven't figured out Snapchat, so if you figure it out, let me know. <laughs> I mean, it's, I just, ha- I'm just scared because I'll, I think I'll be too into it. And I want any work done. <laughs> I gotta get this Vixen thing popping, so no. Um, yeah, so I'm at Megalyn, and then coming up, obviously we have Arrow. Um, my episode of Arrow, 415. It's called Taken, on the CW. Um, on the 24th of February, 8 p.m. on the CW. And then next, I actually have a new show, and it's a completely different genre. It's called Damien, and that's going to be airing on A&E. And the season premiere is March 7th, so a couple weeks after my Arrow appearance. You can see me on Damien, um, and that is... Uh, it's scary. Not gonna lie. It's definitely. Is it based off of like the Omen? Or yep. okay. Wow. Exactly. It's based on the. It's based off of the Omen. It's a serialized version of the Omen. Um, kind of advanced twenty five years. So not unlike what they did with Bates Motel, but kind of like the reverse. Bates Motel, they went back in time. So for Damien, they're going forward in time. So it's about the Antichrist as an adult, essentially. Oh, wow. Yeah. So into that, it's a whole other world. But, um, yeah, prepare to, uh, you know, watch with somebody. (laughs) Watch Watch with your mom. Watch with companion. We've been warned. (laughs) Yes. Thanks again for for coming on our show, Megalyn. We really appreciate it. And we hope... Hope, hope, hope that we see Vixen in live action format sooner than later. And so do I. Thank you for for all of your support. Send Me is a web series about Gwen, a black woman and a professor of African-American studies who has the power to send black people back into time to slavery as a character-building measure. The power to do this has been passed down through her family, and candidates want to go on the journey, and she makes money by sending them. Steve Harper is the writer, creator, and executive producer of Send Me. He co-wrote the martial arts film Undefeatable, and Steve has worked for two years as an associate producer of audio projects, home video, and worked on South African version of Sesame Street. He spent two seasons writing for the USA Network show Covert Affairs. Liz Femi appeared in the final season of Parks and Recreation and is featured in Judd Apatow's new Netflix series Love. Liz is the creator of the award-winning Take Me to the Poor House, a comedy about a middle-class Nigerian third grader who dreams of becoming poor in order to win the love of a poor classmate. Her notable film and TV work includes 
The Kroll Show, Things Never Said, Showtime Shameless, and Criminal Minds. Welcome to this segment of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. I am here with co-host Joelle and new co-host Kayla. Welcome to the show, by the way, Kayla. We have an incredible guest here, two guests, in fact, Steve Harper and Liz Femi. Steve Harper is the creator of a new web series that was recently picked up by BET called Send Me, and it's a time travel story about slavery. So... Very interesting, and he's here along with Liz, who's a star in the show, to talk to us about it. Thank you so much, Steve and Liz, for for coming on our show. Yeah, thanks for having us. I'm really excited to be here, yeah. To connect with some some fellow nerds and fellow black nerds is always a good thing. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Represent. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys again for coming on the show. And and Steve, I, I do want to start with you. Send Me is a web series that was developed by you and, and co-executive produced, in fact, by Grey's Anatomy star, Sara Ramirez. How did you come up with the idea for the story? Well, I had um, I spent a couple of years, two years writing on TV series Covert Affairs, which was super fun. After I left Covert Affairs, I kind of wanted to create something in the world of, you know, TV web series, something that people could see that had installments. But I also wanted to stay really close to some of my personal personal subjects. You know, I mean, it was really nice to be writing for Covert Affairs, but I'm not, you know, I've never been a CIA operative and I don't, you know, travel the world, <laughs> do intrigue. And I thought, you know, I really want to create something that feels a little closer to home. And I started to think about the notion of trying to get an audience to be as obsessed with race as a viewer as I am in my own life. So obviously, like I function and do everything I need to do in the world. And yet at the same time, you know, as a black man, I'm always, almost always thinking about what it means to be, you know, if I'm walking into a CVS or if I'm walking into a 7-Eleven or if I'm in my car and I see a police person, police car coming behind me, like race is threaded throughout my life. And I wanted to see how, how I could create something dramatic, where the audience would have to confront their own racial awareness and where the racial awareness could build and be present throughout the entire series. What are your thoughts about the subject matter in depicting the institution of slavery? Because I know that that can be a very sensitive subject for a lot of people, and certainly for many of us as people of color. Do you find that, you know, in Hollywood, that many award-winning films that feature Black people always focus on the oppression or or is that not always the case? Well, I think there's a way in which, you know, first of all, I think I feel like the subject matter, it's really about whether we're talking about it or whether we're not talking about it, because I think the fact that people are sensitive to it is an indication of the fact that it's it's baked into the DNA of our culture and our society and of our history. And so I feel like there's no there's no real way to escape the fact that that's part of who we are. And I think that's why people are sensitive about it. I feel like a lot of the, you know, I haven't seen every slave film or read every slave narrative, but I do think certainly in 12 Years a Slave and in Roots, I feel like what we're talking about is the stories are pitched as opportunities to express a sense of triumph because 
there is a way in which those narratives and the people who are at the center of them, they, uh, you know, they overcome to, you know, to use a tried and true phrase, and they really find their way to moving past the difficulties. Obviously, you can't create any piece of drama without some sort of obstacle or some sort of challenge. And I think in those movies and, and plays and those, the things that I've seen that focus on slavery, the challenges are the obstacle, but I really feel like it's about moving beyond that. And it's about resilience and it's about hope and it's about making a better life in spite of the worst circumstances. Okay. Steve, this is Kayla. What are some of the challenges with taking on a time travel story, which has been done and keeping it modern and relevant to the story that you want to tell? Yeah. Well, you know, I think, I think the thing about it is our show takes place and, you know, you can see all of the episodes and the interviews of our show has six narrative episodes and these 11 interviews of people who are interested in taking the journey, uh, which is a, sort of a whole nother thing worth talking about, you know, because I kind of feel like, you know, the short piece of that is that is that people in the show face the notion or the idea of going back in time the way people in our society face you know, wanting to climb mountains or jump out of airplanes or do dangerous drugs. You know, they feel like they're going to be better or different on the other side. And so, you know, who's to say whether that's healthy or not? That's a whole other, that's a whole other question. But I think that is the way that those people sort of approach that journey. So in terms of my own storytelling, what I realized is on the budget of a web series, which, you know, it cost us approximately $50,000 to do this, I would really need to spend, and we do, most of the time of the series in the 21st century. So mostly it takes place now. And that was one of the challenges. Like, how do you portray this whole, you know, slave narrative? And my solution to that is you do it really sparingly. You have these flashbacks and you, you know, you spend, there's a, you know, a mystery back there and you just spend a couple of glimpses of it. And the rest of the time you spend in conversation like we're having about, well, why would anybody want to do that? And how could you do that? And we shouldn't do that anymore. And, you know, so to me, that's the way I put a spin on it is to keep it, to keep that 21st century obsession going while making references and having these glimpses of the past. I did like that. And watching the series could be in the middle of a conversation and then have that flashback that that was really captivating for me. Liz, what message do you hope viewers take away after watching? Well, I think what's really interesting about this project in the way it actually affected me when I when I first got it is it really speaks to the fact that there's so many perspectives when it comes to dealing with race in America. And I feel like a lot of that is entrenched in the history and just also in the artistic interpretations of this historical event. So it's Every time people say, oh, you know, it's post, America is so post-racial, you know, we don't talk about this anymore. There's something about that statement that I, like as Steve mentioned, that always, I think, speaks to the fact that it's, it's still very much entrenched in who we are because we even try to avoid the conversation. I feel like the script does, the story does a really, really takes on interesting perspectives in showing us all these different ways that people think about slavery and race in America. My the character that I play, her name is Marembe, and she she is the one in the series who's like, ah, man, if I had to go back, I would go Django on him, you know, I'd go crazy. And I think <laughs> I, I really think that perspective is so is so alive today. You know, if you put on a Facebook post 
on anything racially charged, you you know, you're going to hear that perspective and you're going to hear other, other perspectives that, you know, with the post-racial idea or, you know, just forming coalitions or, or just let's it's it's just I just think it's so brilliant the way Steve found a way to communicate all of this differing points of view on race. Mm, thanks. I, you know, I want to say sort of as a as a piggyback to that, one of the things that we found really exciting. I mean, obviously, it's all about the web series itself and the interviews that go with the, with the episodes and and all of that. And when we were doing our crowdfunding campaign, and you can find this on the Send Me YouTube page, we went around and we talked to both people we knew and people we didn't know. We sort of went up to random black people and said, you know, would you go back in time to slavery? And so we have a whole host of real answers to that question, in addition to the fictional answers. And the real answers are are all over the map as well. You know, some people are like, absolutely not. You know, and other people said, well, you know, if I could meet this famous historical person, maybe I'd go. Or, well, I would like to, I would be curious about it. I wouldn't want to stay long. You know, the range of responses, both in the fictional world of the series and in the real life people that we asked Really impressive and really interesting, I think, in terms of the diversity of response. And to add to what Steve is saying, too, it's there there was also a response of who is asking this question <laughs> and why are you asking this question? And, you know, almost like the audacity of asking the question. The instinctual response is always very interesting. And I feel like and then people take some time, they think about it and then they come back. Okay, I've thought about it. This is maybe I'll maybe I'll think about it. Maybe this is why I might go. This is why I might not go. But almost always it hits you in the gut. And it's either about the question itself or the person who's asking the question. And I have to say, not to belabor this this question, but it is so interesting. We had I had the same response from people during the crowdfunding campaign and as we were getting publicity and as articles were being written. There was, you know, a moment where we got an article done in uh, IndieWire Shadow and Act. And that, that first article that was about the crowdfunding piece, you know, we put it down and I was happy to get the article. And then I sort of went about my business doing the rest of our crowdfunding. And I went back like six or seven days later. And in the comments, I was being trashed. People were like, who is this guy and how dare he? Like, what does he think <laughs> he's doing? And he's ruining our history. And what a, what a quack and all this stuff. You know, and I jumped into that conversation and, you know, had this back and forth with a guy who eventually said, hey, not only do I want to donate, but I want to match donations. And, you know, it's such an incendiary idea. And to me, that's part of the excitement of what's of what's become of, of the web series. Just it's just an incendiary idea. It's truly captivating. I was hooked from the first episode. I mean, it's, it's well written. It's superbly performed. And I cannot yeah. wait for season two. Are you guys going to keep the same three-minute format, or are you going to kind of switch it up now that you guys are signed on with BET? <laughs> well, I love, I love so many things in that sentence. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, first of all, we'd love to do a season two, and I'm really excited about the idea of that. And I've you know, got a bunch of ideas about what season two would be and how we would explore some of the things we don't get to explore in the season in season one. But, you know, the jury is is still out on that. You know, we're hoping that based on response and based on some interest and maybe some sponsorships we could find, that we find producers and funding to create a season two. But right now, none of that is in place. So we're hopeful. What do you need us to do? We can make it happen. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Well, you can help. I've been brainstorming about the notion of who would who would be the right. Is there somebody? Is there a 
is there a an entity out there who would be an ideal partner for us to create more of send me and you know and who are the people out there who perhaps would would want to come forward and you know invest in the prospect of season 2 you know how would that happen the other delightful part of the sentence that you that you uttered was around BET and them being on board and super happy to have send me premiere on bet.com and it's been really fun to see to see our show in their interface and the way they've laid it out is is great and and there's some really fun people over there our show basically is you know our deal with them basically says that the show will air till the end of the month till the end of black history month and then uh and then we'll, we're going to put it somewhere else it may live on our youtube page it may end up some other place so there's no long-term commitment from BET in terms of this project. Mm. You know, we would love to be on some level connected with them in the future, but none of that is, none of that is inked at this moment. So, you know, hopefully people will continue to watch. There'll be sort of a groundswell of interest and people will step forward who are, who have ideas for us and hopefully it will emerge organically. But right now, all of that is, is part of the adventure of, of what it is we're up to. Interesting. So I did not know that. So BET has this on as just temporarily for Black History Month as a feature. But then afterwards, then it's on to YouTube and then possibly prospects from other platforms going forward. Yes. So BET is, you know, they have, you know, when you go to see their site, they've got an incredibly abundant array of things happening in their what they're calling their digital Black History Month celebration. Ah. And we're thrilled to be part of that. And we have, you know, we have an agreement with them where we're basically hanging out till the end of the month and then we're on to whatever is next for us. Is the next step for you looking to option this as a TV series? Well, that could be a next step. You know, one of the things that I did in terms of Send Me was before we shot it as a web series. I don't know if you know this, Liz. I had this idea in my head and I sat down with my agent and manager before staffing television staffing season a couple of years ago and told them what the idea was. And they wanted me to, I had a pilot that we were sending around and they were looking for me to do some, a short story. So they asked me to write this as a short story, which I wrote as like a 10 page, 10, 11 page short story, which got me a lot of staffing meetings and a lot of interest. I certainly think there is a juicy possibility of, of what this might look like as a television series. But I don't know that other people are convinced of that. I certainly think they're they're interested in how my mind works <laughs> and, and and whether or not whether or not that's something that unfolds on the basis of this or whether we end up going to a season two and then doing something else. Who knows? I mean, I think it could be really interesting. The possibilities are are wide open. I've noticed just that's what Stephen's saying. I just reading the threads online and seeing how people interacting with the show, it really has brought up some very interesting and intriguing conversations. And a lot of people are like, oh, you know, they, they want to consume more. You know, we live in a binge watching culture now. So <laughs> right. <laughs> we, are, we can't, you know, everyone can't wait. So it's been really cool to, to see people's reaction to it. And hopefully we can take that enthusiasm and get to share it on, on either BT or other engaging platforms as well. And Liz, you know, Actually, I want to change my question out now that you brought this up with engagement. Have you thought of engaging with folks that love to binge watch internet streaming shows? Cause I'm, I'm one of them by, by doing like live tweeting because live tweeting is such a huge phenomenon now among 
social media users, have you guys thought of doing that as a way to get more people attracted to the series and, and to, to start watching? Yes, you know, I, it's an interesting idea. And I think part of the challenge of certainly the web world and the way in which the way in which our show, you know, was dropped all at once is that, you know, we did we actually did some live tweeting on the day that it first appeared. But because it lives there all the time, it's sort of like, well, you know, as opposed to with a, a television show, which is sort of like, oh, it's on now. Let's every, everybody like let's talk about it on Twitter right now. Right. You know. So we may, I have been thinking about the potential of a Twitter Q&A at some point, which we would set up and schedule and, and respond to questions and things like that, which could be really fun. But given the fact that it's not actually appointment viewing, because it's there all the time. Oh, there's shows that are live tweeted on Netflix. Do it all the time. Yeah. Do they? <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we live tweet Daredevil and Jessica Jones and all those comic book shows that drop on Netflix. So. Uh -huh. Yeah, y'all need to get on Send Me. <laughs> All right, cool. And do they assume that people are watching a particular episode then when they're live tweeting, or they're just like, for this two hours, we're going to... Yeah, we all coordinate. At this time, we are going to live tweet episode one together, and, mm -hmm. then, and then binge watch from episode one, two, three, or what have you, and either people will drop off, or they'll just keep going. Just depends, but... Interesting, I love yeah. that. What a great idea. This is six episodes, so six episodes really, you know, and it's short episodes, so that yeah. that would be an easy binge. Yes, it would be an easy <laughs> binge, yeah. So, Liz, I wanted to know from you, going into this project, did the research of the subject matter affect you in any way, and, and do you believe that the impact will have any sort of effect on the audience that's watching? It's a great question. I certainly was of the group of people who were like, what? Why? You know, it, <laughs> that was everybody. It was everyone. But what was really compelling to me is the genre. I mean, the, the science fiction genre. I remember in college, you know, I'd read some Octavia Butler and, you know, and other sci-fi authors, African-American sci-fi authors. Mm -hmm. And it's just always been interesting to me how race always played in those narratives, even when people would be would try to avoid it, you know. And I just found it compelling. And also the fact that it's the setting is in the comic book store. It's so contemporary. Yet at the same time, it finds a way to take the subject matter of slavery to see how it how it lives in our lives today. You know, when people talk about how, oh, you know, post-racial, it's, it's over. It was over, you know, almost 200 years ago, whatever they say. I people forget how long slavery was in this country. And right after that, another 100 years of segregation. Right. So. It's so, it, it's just, so when that conversation happens, I don't think we understand. If it took 400 years for something to happen and then another, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm conflating the numbers, another hundred or so for segregation to happen, do you know how much longer it will take to unravel and understand how this thing is still present, even in, you know, subconsciously and systemically? But then to take that and put in an engaging, an engaging genre like science fiction, I thought was just brilliant. Because we like black people want to time travel too, you know? Yeah. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, what Can we get I, a black doctor, please? Right? Please. <laughs> Finally. I want to go somewhere. One of the things that I've said repeatedly is that, so I've seen so many, as we all have, so many time travel movies and TV shows where the time travelers are almost always white. You know, and they'll go back to like, you know, I was the example I always use is like King Arthur's court and they like put on some hat 
and put on a little accent and they can blend right in. And I've, for you know, my whole life, I've been watching these things going, I could never blend in like that. Like, what, right. what's going on here? Yeah. yeah. And then to even think of, because we always think about what we would do differently, how we could have made something better, how we could have made a difference. But really, though, if you find yourself in that situation with your contemporary understanding of the world, how, yeah. how, what would you do there? And how could you even, the things we take for granted, the assumptions we have about how status works, you know, and, and psychological development, all these different things, we take so many things for granted. And I think it's just interesting to see legitimately, though, what would I do if I were in that situation? And I, I probably wouldn't last 20 minutes. No joke. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, I, I definitely defaulted the question because who, who, why? Why would you go back? But also at the same time, like, you know, you're right. When you linger on the question, you do begin to ponder it. You're like, well, maybe. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering, you said you've gotten so many reactions. What's kind of the, the craziest or the most unexpected reaction you've received from people either reading or watching the series? Huh. Well, I think, you know, I sort of have to go back to the story that I shared about the guy who was, you know, completely against it and then sort of completely turned around and said, I'll help, I'll help you. So that, that's been really interesting. I, I also, I have to say that there have been a number of people who are not involved in the production who I approached and talked to about crowdfunding who just looked at me like literally like I was crazy. Or, you know, I have a friend who she and her husband, who are friends of mine from drama school, they hadn't donated. And I remember running into them at a, an event and saying, well, you know, I sent, didn't I send you a thing about donating? And, and then she admitted to me, she said, yeah, you know, I just couldn't, it seemed really awful and brutal. And I was wondering <laughs> why you were doing that. And I couldn't wrap my mind around, you know, and what was fascinating to me about that is she couldn't wrap her mind around the show, but she also didn't venture to have a conversation with me about it. You wow. know? And so to me, that's been the really interesting thing that people make all these assumptions without, it, you know, before they'd seen it and then had largely had a vastly different experience when they got to, when they got to witness it and sort of be in the world of the series. And for me, I have to say as an, as an artist, as a creative person, as a writer and actor and producer now, like that was that was the scariest thing for me because I, you know, I'm used to like writing plays that nobody ever sees and then suddenly people see it. So to have to talk about something before it was ready, to have, you know, to have to talk about something before I actually had something to show mm-hmm. was really scary. It was sort of like, uh, I hope it turns out pretty good. And <laughs> here's the crazy idea. And, you know, and please well, give me money. Not- very that kind of leads into my next question is you talked, you did an article for uh, com, and you discussed slavery as entertainment in films, films like 12 Years a Slave and Django Unchained and the new TV show Book of Negroes and the relaunch of Roots, feeding a national hunger for a dialogue about race and what it means to be black in America. And I'm wondering, after you guys have kind of completed the show and you've gotten some feedback, did you or your fans kind of get any answers to these questions? Like, what is it to be black in America? I don't know. I mean, I don't think there are any answers. (laughs) There are as many answers as there are black people is basically the way I think of it. And so I feel like to me, the, the win is, and the whole reason I wanted to do this web series is to, is to contribute to, or to lean into, or to give more opportunities to be in the dialogue. So I feel like if people watch, watch, and then they have, they're talking to whoever, their husband, their wife, their partner, their mom, their dad, their neighbor about, oh, my God, did you see that? And I was thinking of this and I was, you know, I feel like to me, that's the 
that's the big win. And, you know, the other thing is, I just want to say that, that I feel like the, it doesn't, in a good way, because I think it's such an interesting exploration, it doesn't stop. So, you know, I've, I've started watching now this new uh, American crime story, The People versus O.J. Simpson, and it's just so fascinating. You know, it's really like, because there, there are all those racial questions sort of buried in the midst of that whole incident. And then the police and OJ and the trial and fairness and guilt and innocence and race. And, you know, it's all in there. And and it's fascinating. I heard that's like the new black drama. Like, forget about (laughs) Empire. It's all about that show now. Everybody's all about the OJ miniseries. I got to check that out. Really good. I was grateful for the dialogue that it it brought for me because I'm in an interracial relationship. So seeing the couple, you know. Mm. That the interracial couple on the show, for me, it started a dialogue for us because, you know, you tiptoe around it a little bit and then it opened up a dialogue. OK, so what if we both went back? What situation would we be in and what would yes. both of our experiences be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was very I was very grateful, you know, for watching, you know, just that one little piece to be like, OK, well, you know, that piece is up for discussion and to start a dialogue with someone that you're with, I was very, very grateful for that. So thank you. Mm, I'm glad to, really glad to hear that. And I think that, you know, those questions are exactly the kind of juice that I think we could explore in, in a season two or in a, a full-blown, you know, television series version of this, this idea. And I think those things are, yeah, it's, it's ripe for exploration just because of how juicy it is. Wow, this is a really great discussion. Thank you, Steve and Liz, for coming on our show. Before we go, if you can just give us all of your social media shout outs, where we can find you on the interwebs, information about Send Me, and where we can find out more about any current or future projects that you're working on. Excellent. So you can find Send Me right now through the end of the month on BET.com. If you look on the Shows tab, you can find Send Me there. And Go to all of the episodes and all of the interviews. And actually, although the it's not in this order, I would actually recommend that people check out the interviews first and then yeah. check out the six episodes because that's uh, that's kind of a juicy way to explore it. So on BET.com, you can also find out much more information about Send Me on SendMeBackToSlavery.com, uh, which will link you to our YouTube page where we have behind-the-scenes videos and promotional videos and those people-on-the-street sort of things that we did during the, the funding campaign. Uh, and you can tweet about us at Harper Creates, which is my, my Twitter handle. And then, yeah, and then you're sort of in the world of Send Me. And I'd love to sort of see people tweet about and spread the word and, and watch and let us know what you think. And, and all of that is out there. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's where you can find us. And I also, I also want to give a shout out for, you know, I do some work as a creativity coach and I'm all about helping people do stuff and supporting them. And you can find out a little bit about that at yourcreativelife.com, which is a whole nother sort of part of what I do. Yeah, that. Cool. <laughs> well, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Liz Femi, L-I-Z-F-E-M-I. And as Steve mentioned, the episode, I'm one of the people who are interviewed on Craigslist who are applying to the show. My character, Marembe, is on there. Next week, I am... From premiere, I'm part of a Judd Apatow's new Netflix series, Love, that premieres on Netflix. I'm recurring in a few episodes on there too. So that's another, another lighter side of me in comedy that you can find. 
Yeah, I'm so excited that you mentioned that, actually, because I do want to mention, I'd be remiss. So Tracy Toms, who's our lead, is also on the, that series, Love, with Liz, which is super oh, that's exciting. That's right. Yeah. yeah, she was telling me. And and I just also want to give a shout out to, you know, we have some terrific actors in our series. Gabrielle Carteris, Tucker Smallwood, Nelson Ellis, Carlise Burke, Mo Irvin. Just a really great group of people. Jerrica Hinton from Grey's Anatomy, Jessica Nicole. They alone are, are reasons to come see, come check out Send Me, because they, they do some fantastic, everyone does fantastic work. 17 actors. Really grateful for that. It's an all-star cast right there. That's yeah. <laughs> I remember, I just really one quick thing. I remember the first day on set on the Netflix series Love, when I saw Tracy, the first thing we said in a room full of all these people, like, oh my God, Liz, Tracy, we did the same thing together. And like, okay. <laughs> the two black people in the room getting excited right. about slavery. Yes. I love it. And shout out to Tracy Toms as well. She follows BGN on Twitter. So thank you. You, you Yeah, she loved you guys. Yeah, she follows us and retweets and, and it, it's she's really great with engaging with, with followers. So appreciate that. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys coming on the podcast. And again, this was a great discussion. You guys listening, please watch Send Me and tweet about it, talk about it, support it. So that way they can be kept on BET or be brought on bigger platforms. And maybe we can coordinate some kind of live tweet in the future. Excellent. Great idea. Yeah, lovely chatting with you guys. Yeah, really fun. Thanks for having us on. Pump it up, 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 pump it up